John 5, verse 1 and following. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews. I'll give you a little time to steer some pages turning. John 5. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For the angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been thirty-eight years in his sickness when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, Do you wish to get well? Uh, King James has it, Do you want to be whole? Then the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming down, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well, and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was on the Sabbath on that day. It was a Sabbath on that day. Therefore, the Jews were saying to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse may befall you. Have you ever felt like you ask, you had asked a stupid question? That's a stupid question in itself, isn't it? Of course you have. Uh, but I think that probably I hold the world's record of dumb questions. I think if there is... Uh, Guinness World Book of Records, they ought to have a page somewhere that has a title, Questions, Comma, Dumb, World Record Holder, Gerald Tidwell. <laughs> I had this guy in my church in Fort Worth. Um, the best way to describe George is to say that he wasn't quite playing with a full deck. He, he got himself messed up somewhere in the army. The first clue I had that George really wasn't with us was the very first Sunday. I was pastor of the church, and I saw him standing out in the hall banging himself up beside the head with a Coke bottle. I, I knew right then that uh, George uh, was not quite here. And one day I, 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 I met him in the hall of a church, and he had on this uh, key chain. It was an enormous thing. It was tied around his waist and hung all the way down to his ankles. And it just, was just covered with keys. There must have been a hundred keys on that keychain. 
I mean, George was just kind of walking, you know, leaned over, you know, just kind of pulled over like that. I said, hey, George, uh, what are those keys for? And he looked at me with that kind of a look that said, that's a dumb question. He said, locks. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Ask another dumb question. There are some questions that are not as dumb as they look. I mean, the one in our text. And Jesus came to this man and he said, Do you want to be whole? Um, that seems like a dumb question, for after all, this man had been lying by this pool for 38 years wanting to be well. And if we didn't know who it was that asked the question, we might think that he asked a stupid question or he was taunting this frustrated invalid. For he'd been in the midst of that misery and suffering for 38 years. It must have been like the outpatient clinic of a slum hospital. And he'd been just waiting for somebody to get him in the water so he could be healed. And along comes this man he had never seen before and asked him, Do you want to get well? It'd be kind of like somebody, you know, be like you going out here to the emergency room of Bryan Hospital, you know, sitting there half bleeding to death. Is covered with blood. About five hours later, you know, after you've been sitting there about five hours, some guy kind of saunters up to you and says, do you need some help? You'd probably answer, no, I just bleed like this normally. You know, I just, I just came in here for the thrill of it. I hear this guy lying there for 38 years wanting to be well, and all of a sudden a guy comes to him and says, do you want to be whole? Seems like a stupid question. But really, when you get right up to it, it's really not. For it shows what Jesus was really about. He had come to the world, not just to heal folks. That was secondary. He came to make them whole. That word means sound or complete. And His purpose in the world was not just to heal a man so he could walk. His purpose, what He was about, was to make men complete. It still is. And so he walks among people who have no power. I imagine that analogous to the church is this. For you see, this man had legs, but they wouldn't take him anywhere. And he had life, but he had no health. And so Jesus comes into the midst of people today and he says, Do you want to be complete? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be sound? We have provisions, but we have no power. We have... Um, we have forgiveness of sin, but no deliverance from it. And He comes to us and says, Do you wish that you could be whole? Do you really want to be well? Not such a stupid question after all. And I think that what we really have here is the Master's method of making folks whole. And there are some of us who want that. Desperately do we want it. And there are a lot of us who need that. And I have a feeling that some people come on Sunday morning into a service like this, Sunday after Sunday, just hoping against hope, just wishing, maybe this is the day when God will break in upon my life and give me deliverance and victory and wholeness and completion. We see it happening to other people. Maybe this is the day when God will break into my life and make a radical difference in me. You noticed, of course, that Jesus addressed this man three times. In verses 6, 8, and 14, 
He asked a question, he gave a command, and then he issued a warning. And it just might be the sequence that the Lord uses in making people whole. Do you really want to be whole? That's the big question. If so, this is the sequence. It begins, first of all, with desire. The desire for it. The most important word in that sentence is, do you want to be whole? Do you wish that you were whole? Do you wish that you had victory? Do you wish that you had deliverance? Do you wish that you had power? Do you really want that? And you might answer, well, the answer to that is obvious, but not always, not really. You know, there's some people who enjoy bad health. I used to pastor a lady. I know she enjoyed bad health. Every time I talked to her, she was either sick or getting over being sick or getting ready to be sick. I mean, she just was sick all the time. And I learned never to ask her how she felt unless I had a couple of hours to listen to it. One day I was going out to visit her in the hospital and I started into the, to, to her room and the doors cracked a little bit. I saw her in there. She didn't see me, but I saw her. She was sitting up in the bed watching television. And she had this little bed table across there, you know, with a mirror on it. She was kind of putting on her face. And just as I started in, a nurse spoke to me, and I stood outside her door and talked to this nurse. And the sick lady's patient heard me. And, and she turned off the television, and she moved that mirror, and she got in under the covers. And I went in her room, you know, after a little bit. I went over to her bed, you know. I knew she wasn't asleep, and I just kind of spoke to her, and I called her name. And she just kind of peeked out of one eye, you know, at me. He said, oh, pastor, do you have time to, to listen to me? He said, sit down there. Oh, no. He said, sit down there. He said, I am so sick. I mean, she's enjoyed poor health. You know, you get a lot of things out of that. You, you know that? I don't get sick too often, but, you know, I'm treated so great. I'm treated so well when I get sick. I kind of hate to get over it. Now, I'm on, I hate to admit that, you know, in here with my wife, and she brings me my food to bed, and my kids act like they love me. And, and, I, and, and sometimes, you know, I just want to prolong it. Because, you know, see, there's a certain responsibility that wholeness involves. Many a beggar in the Eastern world in an ancient time had to give up a pretty good living to be healed. And maybe Jesus asked the question because down inside he knew that man really was content to lie in the cool shade of the porches of Bethesda while hale and hearty men sweated and labored under the burden and the heat of the day. For as long as that man you know, was a wretched invalid, you know, somebody would feel sorry for him and somebody would take care of him and somebody would take care of his responsibilities. But once he stepped out of those healing waters in the full vigor of health, he was no longer an object of charity. He was on his own. Are you ready for that? He was saying. Well, let me tell you something. There's a certain price that a man has to pay for wholeness. Are you ready for the responsibility? If God suddenly broke into your life and delivered you from the power of sin and gave you power and victory, are you ready for the responsibility of that? Are you really? Now, some people say, you know, I just wish I could witness, win people to Jesus. They don't really. They might want the ability to do that. They don't want the responsibility of it. 
Because we have evangelism explosion training, the best training there is in winning people to Christ nine months, one night a week, nine months out of the year, and they never come. And some folks say to me, yeah, I wish I could teach a Sunday school class. They don't really. They may wish they had the ability. They don't want the responsibility of it because we have teacher training. You know, we'll train people to teach. We won't throw them into the lines, you know, without giving them some instruction. They really don't want that. I mean, there's a certain responsibility that wholeness involves. Are you really ready for that? You know what? Have you considered what it means to be whole? You noticed, of course, that Jesus didn't ask, do you want to be able to walk? He said, do you want to be whole? For He doesn't deal in partial cures. I think sometimes we think He does. We say, Jesus, I'd like for you to do a little work on this area of my life, but you don't touch this area over here. I mean, that's hands off to you. Jesus, I'd like you to fix up my marriage. I'm having some problems there, but I don't want you to touch in this area of my life. I have a financial problem, Lord, and I'd like for you to give me a little help there, but I'm not really willing to turn my whole life over to you. I mean, Jesus is no specialist. A guy was telling me that about, you know, was talking about how, you know, specialized we've become in modern medicine. He told about this guy who grew up in a little town like Bennington, a little bitty place. And he went off and joined the Navy, just loved it and made a success. In fact, he became a doctor and practiced in the Navy. One day he came home, was walking down the street on Saturday afternoon, dressed up, you know, in his Navy attire. He met this little gray-haired Sunday school, grandmother Sunday school teacher that taught him in Sunday school. She's so glad to see him. She said, well, now tell me what you're doing now. He said, well, I'm a naval surgeon. And she said, oh my goodness, how specialized we've, we've gotten in modern medicine. Uh, <laughs> two, two medical interns were talking, and one said, I've decided to specialize in the nose. And the other said, which nostril? I mean, we have really gotten specialized. Let me tell you what, he is not a specialist. If you're waiting for the Lord to fix up one area of your life and you're not willing to open up that life to all of God, you can forget it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. I mean, are you really ready for that? Are you really ready to turn all of your life every aspect and facet of it over to the control of someone else. Not such a dumb question after all. And if you really want that, the second element in the sequence is obedience. He said, okay, you want it? Get up and take up your bed and walk. Now Jesus didn't you know, spend a lot of time discussing with him the impossibility of the situation and he didn't spend a lot of time sympathizing with him for the 38 years he'd lost in his life. He just said, get up and go, man. And, and obviously, wholeness is not complete until obedience comes. And so he just said, if you want to be whole, you want that? Yes, sir, I want that. Then get up and walk. Now, what did he do that day? He believed and he obeyed, and those, that's, those things are inseparable. They're like a coin. I mean, if you really believe, you're obedient. If you're obedient, it's because you believe. Bonhoeffer was right when he said, only he who believes is obedient. 
And only he who is obedient believes. Now did you notice that in order to be whole, he had to give up his hope in the pool. Now you say, well, why would you mention something like that? Well, it's obvious, you see, for we rationalize as to why we're not whole. I mean, if I, if I didn't have this kind of working situation, if I had a better boss, if I had, if I had a better marriage, if I had a you know, better job, you know, I'd be a lot, I'd be, I'd be victorious in my Christian life. You know. I'm going to rationalize as to why I'm not whole. When, when I get everything straight, when I get just get it like it should be, I'll be whole. I mean, Jesus is saying, look, don't rationalize concerning the pools that are in your life. Forget the pools and walk and do it. Now, I want to say two things about his response. First is that it was an impossible response. I mean, this man had just got through telling Jesus he couldn't walk and Jesus said, get up and walk. Somebody said the greatest miracle took place that day was that Peter didn't say anything. Um, can you imagine him standing there and he said, well, Lord, he can't walk, you know, saying that. Sounds just like him now. Well, he can't walk. Well, he's been 38 years like that. Jesus just told him to do what he said he couldn't do. That's just the way Jesus operates. If you're waiting for the Lord to come to give you a command that He knows you can do in your strength, you might as well forget it. Because He's going to come and He's going to make a command to your life in the very area where you in your strength cannot do it. That's just the way He works. I mean, He comes to those areas of our weakness. He comes where we're bound. He comes where we can't. And He always addresses the issues where we say, I can't. And there He says, do it. Get up and do it. And the amazing thing is that He never makes a command except that He has already given the ability to do it. So that the command itself is a promise that you can. If he says, I want you to love your enemy, I can't. At the same time he makes the command, he has given you the ability to do it. And so he said to Lazarus outside of his grave, come out of there, Lazarus, very thing he couldn't do. And he saw the man with a withered hand, he said, stretch forth your hand, the very thing he couldn't do. Because when he tells us to do something, it's the, at the same time a promise that we can do it. You know what that means? It means I have no excuse for not doing what God wants me to do. Impossible response. Secondly, it was an immediate response. As Scripture says, he immediately got up and walked. Immediately. Now, he could have rationalized like this. He could have said, you know, uh, Lord, when I know, when I know I can, when I feel like it, <laughs> when I get some strength in these old tired legs, you know, these old invalid legs, when I feel the surge, etc., etc., I'll do it. No, it wasn't that at all. He said, "Get up and do it," and he did it immediately. Guy was talking to me one time. Came by my office, and he's talking about a guy that you know they were all messed up in their relationship, just bent out of shape with each other. He said, now, you know, I, I, what, what I need to do with that situation, I said, you need to love him, you need to forgive him, you need to go to him, and all those kinds of things that the Scripture teaches. Man, I can't do that. I said, well, that's what the Lord told you to do. And if He told you to do something, it means you can. He said, well, if I did all those kinds of things, he said, I'd be a hypocrite. That'd be hypocritical. I said, no, it wouldn't be hypocritical. Be obedient. 
You don't wait to walk until you feel like walking. You walk when the Lord says walk. (laughs) And what we need is not, you know, uh, some new word from the Lord, some insight, new insight into what God has said. What we need to do is just do what we know He's already said. Immediately. Are you willing to make this prayer? Lord, I commit myself to obey your word. All you and I need to do is just do what Jesus said to do. You ready to do that? I mean, today? Are you really ready to do what Jesus said to do today in your life? Then Jesus came and he issued him the most intriguing warning. He said to him, he found him later in the temple, and he said to him, he said, Now you are whole, you have deliverance, you not only have life, you have health. You not only have legs, you have strong legs. They'll take you somewhere. But but go and do not sin, lest a worse thing come over you. Now what could be worse? There's a lot of things could be worse. I mean, what could be worse than living 38 years, a helpless invalid, invalid, lying in a slum hospital outpatient clinic? Let me tell you what will be worse. It is to have wholeness and lose it. Worse than never having wholeness is to have wholeness and lose it. Now, I didn't say you could lose your salvation. Don't go out and say that. I'm not talking about salvation. I believe in security of believer, of course. But I'm talking about what has happened to many of us. We have walked with God. We have known power. We have known deliverance. We have known freedom. But we've allowed sin to come into our life and we've lost it. And that's worse than never having it because you're miserable and you're tortured because having once had it and lost it, you know what you're missing. See, that make any sense? Shake your head like this. That means yes. Some of us are right there. I heard about this pastor who got you know, crossways with God and His will. And he got involved in immoral things. He got out of the ministry, of course. One day a guy was talking to him and said, what do you miss most? What, is the, what do you miss the most? He said, the thing I miss the most are the trumpets in the morning. Oh, mercy. That speaks to me. What I miss most is getting up in the morning and know that this is the day that God made. And I can hear the trumpet sound. This is the day of conquest. This is the day of victory. This is the day of power. I miss most the trumpets in the morning. Did you go see terms of endearment? I didn't see that. I just want to know if you'd been to see it. But I do like Shirley MacLaine. I'm going to have to confess. She kind of um, uh, does something for me, it, really. It's going to be honest with you. She, she, she is a uh, charming person, I think. I mean, just seeing her. I don't know her first name. I've never met her, etc. But I know a lot about her. I know she believes in reincarnation. I read the other day that she believes Martha Mitchell. You know, walks and talks with her. 
and gave her the inspiration for, <laughs> for playing in terms of endearment, Martha Mitchell. I read a quote that she made recently. She said, The most pleasurable journey you take is through yourself. The only sustaining love involvement is with yourself. When you look back on your life and try to figure out where you've been, where you're going, when you look at your work, your love affairs, your marriages, your children, your pain, your happiness, when you examine all that closely, what you really find out is that the only person you really go to bed with is yourself. The only thing you have working to the consummation of your own, the only thing that you have is working to the consummation of your own identity. And that's what I've been trying to do all my life, end quote. She said, what I've been trying to do all my life is to find who I was meant to be. What I've been trying to do all my life is to be whole. Now, if you find that, that is the only thing in life, to work to the consummation of your own identity. If you find that and you lose it, it's worse than never having found it. So how do you lose it? You lose it when you do not allow this holing healer to have all of you. When you start taking back this little thing and that. This and I'm through. In 1949, Mickey Cohen became Los Angeles' number one gangster. He was in charge of the underworld. Some of you heard that Billy Graham, you know, his first great uh, evangelistic crusade in Los Angeles in the early 50s catapulted him into uh, public acceptance and adoration, adulation. Well, in that crusade in Los Angeles, a guy named Jim Voss was saved. Jim Voss was a, uh, one of uh, Mickey Cohen's Man, He was a son of a Baptist preacher, as a matter of fact, from Brooklyn, New York. But he went out to Los Angeles, got involved in the underworld. He went to hear Billy Graham preach and was saved. Immediately, he tried to win Mickey Coyne to the Lord. Gave up that life and tried to win Mickey Coyne to the Lord. Mickey Coyne had nothing, would, would, wouldn't buy it at all. So he sent a guy by the name of Bill Jones, uh, believe it or not, Bill Jones out to witness to Mickey Cohen. Bill Jones was a, a great layman, great Christian in Los Angeles. And in his conversation one day with, with Mickey Cohen, Mickey Cohen made a religious profession of faith of some sort. But he just went right on back to the same old lifestyle. And so, you know, everybody debated, was Mickey Cohen really a Christian? And Bill Jones was staying right with him. He went to the pen, as many of you know, Mickey Cohen did for, for tax evasion and lost everything in the, in the underworld that he had. And one day he, sp he was talking to Bill Jones, and this is what he said. Listen to this. He said, you didn't tell me if I became a Christian, I'd have to give up my, 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 my occupation and my friends. He said, you didn't tell me that. Well, he said, there are Christian movie stars and there are Christian businessmen and there are Christian athletes. Why can't there be Christian gangsters? <laughs> well, in that comic, outrageous, poignant question, 
is reflected the lives of millions of professing Christians who deny it, but their lives ask the same question. I mean, not about being a Christian gangster, but about being, are you ready for this? About being a Christianized version of what they already are. It's what C.S. Lewis calls hyphenated Christians. There is no room for hyphenated Christianity in the kingdom of God. There is no room for a Christianized version of what you really are. The Bible is replete with enough evidence to make it authoritative that the only way that God will have you is that you repent of your sin. Now I know that that conjures up in your mind to hear that word an old man with robes and beards and signs. What that means is that there is wrought in your mind and heart and soul a radical change by the Spirit of God. A radical change of mind and will and heart. And unless there is that radical difference, that personal holiness then you're headed back down to pools that are worse than Bethesda's. My question is, do you want to be whole? Then get up and take up your pallet and walk and make no provision for retreat and begin to walk with God in the purity of His life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that we can be whole and complete and that we have all that is necessary to be just like Jesus. Grant us this morning the courage to respond immediately to the desire to be whole. For I pray in Jesus' name, ask this for His sake only. Now, there are three invitations. Look here. The first invitation is for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He'll make you complete. He'll fulfill life. He'll take away sin. He'll make you whole. If you're willing to take hands off your life and in obedience, repentance, and faith, turn to Jesus. Trust Him and Him only. Say, Lord, off my hands comes my life. You take over. Second invitation is for those of us who are Christians who have been lying in, 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 as an invalid around various pools that have separated us from victory and power to come immediately, do what Jesus in His Word has said for us to do. Now, He might tell you to do this. He might tell me to do that. Where He puts His finger today, what He has for you to do, would you get up and do it? third invitation is for those of us who need to join the church. If there's any other way for God to do His work in the world than the church, the Holy Spirit would tell us this is the way that God wants His work done through the people called the fellowship, the church. These are the invitations. We invite your response on the very first word. That's the easiest time to come. While we stand and sing, come.